0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined by your boy Heavy Days here from the Upside Down Library, and we are incredibly grateful to all of our sponsors, Seeds Here Now number one seed bank in the industry. All the greatest breeders, the hottest drops, the latest strains, anything you could want, they got it. And they offer a guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Check them out, guys, they got what you need. A big old welcome to our newest sponsor, Pulse Sensors. You know them and love them for their amazing smart sensors that give you instant notifications for when your grow room parameters are off for some reason. Temperature, humidity, VPD, PAR levels, you name it. They'll help you fine-tune your grow room so that you have the most incredible crop to date. From the single tent to the single room to the commercial facility, they got you covered. Get serious, guys. Get Pulse. I use them in my garden. Get on it. A big thank you to Pulse. Likewise, shout out Simply Souvenirs, an incredible seed bank based out of the UK, stocking only the highest quality breeders, as well as a range of smoking accessories and a whole lot more. Please check out their site. They've got so many amazing products on there. You're going to be surprised you hadn't heard of them already. If you're in the UK or Europe, check out Simply Souvenirs for your one-stop premium boutique seed and accessory store. Thank you so much, guys. Simply Souvenirs, we appreciate you. Likewise, huge shout out to our friends at Coppet Biological Systems, with everything you need to ensure that your harvest is pumping on all pistons, firing on all cylinders, and giving you the highest grade harvest to date, free of pests, pathogens, with their wide range of beneficial predators, including the Afipar-M and the Spidex Vital, they'll keep your garden happy and healthy. And last but not least, the Patreon gang. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The one and only we could not make episodes happen without you. If you would like to get early access to upcoming episodes, exclusive unreleased content, bonus episodes with Bob, Hempill, Mean Gene, Bodie, 707, Seed Bank, Track Home Jungles, the list goes on. Please consider checking out the Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. On this episode, we are incredibly grateful to be joined by both Sea Ray and Scabby of White Buffalo Seeds. Legends of the Canadian scene, old school landrace preservers, hunters, appreciators, and heck, if you've ever had the Roberts Creek Congo, you owe these guys a thanks. Here to chat all things breeding, genetics, plans for the future, upcoming crosses, old clone history, so much more let's just get into it. So without further ado, let's just get into it. Alrighty my friends, we're back for another one. And today we are incredibly grateful to be joined by the crew behind White Buffalo Seeds, land race legends in their own right, maintaining one of the most unique collections of cultivars I've seen. Thank you so much to C-Ray and Scabby of White Buffalo Seeds for joining us today.
1: Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Nice to be here.
0: The first question we love to ask all our guests, what have you guys been smoking on today?
1: Uh, we're just generally smoking some stuff that we just grew. Um, we're just testing out some of our new uh, hybrids. Uh, one of them is Irene Cross Original Haze. It's a really nice one. And another one is the uh, Congolese Cross Iraqi Pilgrim. <laughs> um and some other stuff that we just harvested uh like angola red what else have you been smoking
2: on uh i just rolled up uh angola red and uh, irene Haze, and i was peeking a little bit there but we're we're coming into the zone we're flying gonna land right in there yeah
0: i am thoroughly jealous right now because as someone who loves sativas but uh like most people, doesn't have a ton of them hanging around to smoke. That sounds like exactly where I want to be. I was interested. I mean, I'm probably going to ask you a bunch of questions about all those varieties because they all sound great. But the first one would be the Irene couldn't Cross the Haze. It sounds like it's more leaning to the haze side. Is it?
1: That one's pretty uh, pretty balanced, I would say, because um, apparently the Irene is is a self like it's a self uh, progeny. So. Self-progenies in, in crosses tend to be, um, tend to be, you know, reasonably uh, consistent in the, uh, in, the, in the offspring. So, yeah, they, that one actually turned out really well, like, as far as uniformity from plant to plant to plant, um, we grew about uh, 16 females, um, so pretty good sample, and we ended up keeping about uh, probably a dozen of them to check out again, to grow again.
0: Lovely. I'm gonna to have to ask you some more questions about your pheno hunting. But just to confirm for everyone listening, are we talking about the the Irene OG or a different Irene?
1: Yeah, it's uh well. I don't know if it's an OG per se, but it's uh, like a it's an OG ish plant, but it's like a Kush.
0: Yeah. Does it have the weird buds growing from like the internode?
1: Uh, I've only grown it once like twice, um, and I didn't experience that yet. But you mean like little. But let's that like grow off the, st- the stems or something.
0: Yeah, I've just heard people saying that you get like these weird little buds growing at the internodes on Irene. I was just curious if you'd experienced that at all. Uh,
2: not yet. I think that's like a phosphorus thing, if I remember. No, right like ago. potassium. Oh, potassium. Uh, high yeah. potassium.
0: Yeah. It'll.
1: It gets. You can. You can grow buds right off the uh stock. the stock if you hit the hit them with uh the right type of potassium at the right time, apparently.
0: There you go. That's some cool info I wasn't aware of. I like that. What was it about the Irene that drew it to you? Because I think if we look at your work, um, there's often sort of an older world strain and sometimes a newer world strain. And I'd be interested in hearing, like, what sort of characteristics of the modern strain attract you? Like, you know, I haven't seen you grow a cookies hybrid, but the Irene is pretty modern. What what do you like about it?
1: Um, well, it's... I mean, we've only grown it a couple of times. It's just one of those things you grow it and you, like, you taste it and it's like, this is the good shit. and The terps, <laughs> yeah, definitely the
2: terpenes are what is most interesting. Um,
1: this is, uh, and it's got a good high, like, yeah, for being, um, we, we're kind of uh, critical about uh, more of the indica, commercial indica push type stuff, and um, that we're, because we're really, uh, like, we're really sativa connoisseurs, so we want, we want to, we expect all our plants to have like, you know, some, some sort of profound, profundity in the, in the stone, you know, like that's what we're, that's what our our goal is, you know? Um, so this, uh, the Irene's actually got a little bit of a, got a decent, uh, you know, heavy, heavy, uh, effect to it.
2: Yeah. It's like an easy man high, you know, after you get up the little rocket boost there for a minute or two and then. It's nice and easy, right? You're you're grooving down the street.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love the sounds of that. And you know what? Uh, just based on hearing that, I'm confident it's the uh, the Irene cut I'm thinking of because that's what everyone says. They were like above all, like the high on this plant is exquisite. So that all makes sense.
2: I think the bud bud uh, shape is like not very like uh, alluring to most people, and I think the Iraqi kind of. Or sorry, the haze kind of stepped that up a bit from that cross for sure.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff there. And I mean, while we're on the topic of haze, I had a, a few different questions. I guess I'd be interested in asking. I know that you guys have worked with many different hazes over the years, both, you know, some of Neville's work with like the haze A and haze C progeny. And I think you guys have even worked with some of the original stuff from Sam himself, I'd be interested to hear, like, does that all check out? And is there one sort of stock of haze that you think is better to the other or it's all just like a family?
1: Uh, Well, as far as I'm concerned, it all came from uh, skunkman stock. Like, I mean, what everyone's growing. You know, there's obviously stuff that uh, people say predates that. But, um, I mean, what everyone refers to as original haze came through uh, the seedsman well, not all of it, but I, I think he sold a bunch like privately. Skunkman sold a bunch of seeds privately before that, but a lot of this stuff came through, um, the seedsman, um, seedsman company, seed company or whatever. Um, like if you look, if you go onto archive, uh, archive.org and look up seedsman.com and go back to, uh, it's like, early, I don't know. It, it's like, a couple of years after the earliest entries, you'll see the original um release of the sea, uh, like the Skunkman's uh you know uh breed that he did at that time, which is like a bunch of uh, uh original haze and there was some a few land races and then there was a bunch of uh crosses and there's
2: uh I think some Afghanis. Afghani. Uh Afghani. South Indian, Afghani, Durban. Uh, Durban. Uh, Carola. Carol, yeah, that was yeah, the soap. Was a soap- um, yeah, I, uh, I think that's about it. Well, probably more. There. Yeah, there's
1: a few. Anyways, you'll find it on archive.org. It's pretty uh, interesting to go back and look at that.
0: Yeah, nice. And when you say Seedsman, are you talking about like the, the generic label that the Seed Bank offers or like Sam's? Right.
1: No, I mean, I'm talking um, the original, like the Seed Bank Seedsman, I believe. Like I don't know the story, but I've heard you know bits of the story that it was like a collab between either it was a collab or it was started with basically it was started with uh, skunkman seeds like that's what was got it going um, and he had like a kilo he had like that guy bought like a kilo of all the different varieties I think is the story um, and I I don't think it lasted very long because if you look at archive.org you can kind of see where it was like a couple of years of skunkman stuff and then it kind of transitioned to a uh, bunch of Dutch stuff.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff. I do think I remembered hearing that story from Todd, so that, that all sort of checks out. I'd be interested to hear, in terms of your experience with the hazes, have you seen stuff come out of it that is similar to some of the well-known stuff like you know the the black cuban haze you know really famous nl5 haze cutting do you ever see any of the characteristics in the haze you've worked with that seems similar to the other famous haze work or it all seems like quite unique
1: Uh, well every like we've grown the original haze stock from a few different sources now like four or five different sources um and every one you dip into is different It all depends on, because everyone started with a little, a a small subs, you know, a a, a sub selection of original haze, you know, they got 10 uh, 10 seeds or whatever. So based on, on uh, luck of the draw, you know, everyone got a little bit and then they selected, you know, certain things. Um, So there, there, there's quite a bit of variation um, in our experience. And like most of them are, most of them are not worth growing, you know. (laughs) In our opinion, like uh, you really have to find the right uh, bag of seeds, um, and to get the to get the really good ones that are worth growing. Like most of them, like 99% of them, uh, most people would not want to grow.
0: Okay, yeah, that's, that's brilliant because it sort of parlays into the next part of the question that I was going to ask, which was that the impression I always got from the work that came from Neville's Hayes stuff was that although he got like a small number of seeds or males or whatever it was from Sam, it seemed like the males he got ended up being pretty bloody good. Is that like your perspective on it?
1: That's a good question, Like um, I mean, I haven't grown, I've grown a few of uh, Neville's things, um, but uh, I mean, obviously they were good because they stood the test of time Time and we're, and we grow, we grow some of that stuff. Like we have some NL Hayes uh, uh, seeds that are good. So um, I don't know. I, can, I don't know. If, like, like, I don't really know um, the difference. I mean, I can figure it out. The difference between the A and the C male is just because we've grown a little bit of both. Like, we haven't grown the C5 or the A5 cutting, but we've grown uh, C5 F2s and we've grown um, the A5 BX from Karma. BX1, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we have a rough idea. Um, There's definitely, uh, they're definitely very different males. Like the A5 is really savory, um and kind of charcoal-y, that's what I get out of it. Like charcoal and, and like uh woody incense, whereas the uh the C five side is uh sweet, um flowery, like perfumey. Well pencil shavings along with the Oh a yeah. pencil shaving on the last one. On the C five,
0: yeah. C5, yeah. On the C5. yeah. Yeah, that checks out. I uh I've been lucky enough to try both of those and your descriptions fairly perfectly fit it
1: i've smoked i smoked a bunch of the stuff without uh of like a bunch of haze like what they call haze in um amsterdam um so i probably have smoked both of those when i was there because i was smoking stuff from like uh uh neville's buddy the uh steve um he had some something something uh (laughs) And a bunch and, and a bunch of dispensaries at that time, um, like I don't know. I, I assume some of them had the real deal, you know, like real deal, whatever. Uh, that they were just marketing as NL Hayes at the time. Sure. So I, I don't know. I can't. I can't confirm without going back in a time machine, but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, out of curiosity, I've always found that people tend to fall on one side of the fence. They're either like, I love the haze C, or I love the haze A. And notably, a lot of the breeders I speak to, they all say the haze A. They're like, yeah, that Colombian sort of vibe. Whereas I myself, I love the haze C, that more Thai floral sort of thing. Do you have one you fall more preference wise? I think I'm in the the C side of things.
1: Yeah,
0: I I like both qualities, but yeah, C. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And actually, you know, the the BC uh, sweet skunk cutting, the breeder Steve cut. Um oh, yeah. that one is very C five dominant. Very C five dominant. Like after growing those C five F2s and then like revisiting that cutting, it's really obvious that like originally when the Sweet Skunk was sold um, by Mark Emery, um, he marketed as SNC seeds big skunk cross grapefruit, but um, the original story was that he, uh, Steve got uh, a tray of cuttings and there was a male and they weren't sh-
2: like yeah it ended up being males instead of females something yeah, like that and, and that's where that male came
1: from. yeah and it was they figured out uh, later on it was an NL Hayes male
2: that made the sweet skunk
0: yeah that's that's definitely the story he told me and it checks out I, I sadly haven't been able to try sweet skunk but it looks like NL5 Hayes doesn't it
1: Oh yeah, it's very it's very an A5 haze, Dom. Like
2: you'll like it. It's a good smoker. <laughs> we have way better ones, I think, now as we've worked down the lines uh, in terms of qualities that are better for growing, like hardiness, a powdery mildew, ease of growth, flowering time, stuff like that. But uh, it's definitely a good one. To cut your teeth on
1: another uh, another plant we grew that was what I would think would be like the A5 is the Band Aid Haze yeah. uh, number
0: seven what was your thoughts on that one? It's pretty popular.
1: It's, it's all right, but it's, um, like we have better stuff in our collection that we like personally yeah. more. So, um, it's, it's a good plant. A lot of people like it. So
2: there was a newer fennel that I tried that I liked way better, uh, to to Yeah.
1: Our friend, uh, down the road here, he got, <laughs> he got a pack of 10 original band-aid haze. F1s, I believe they were. Yeah.
2: I think
1: so. And he just grew that, like he just grew them out. And, uh, he, oh, he must have got two packs oh no maybe there was it must have been like more than a pack there or something anyways the number 12 uh was really nice like better than for us it was better than the number seven number so. two. was it two
2: yeah i think it was two wasn't it it was it well i can't remember <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter i got it on a jar back there i think Yeah, it doesn't
0: matter. <laughs> <laughs> now, that makes sense right like it must have been um two packs if it was number 12. And I I think I've seen people posting. Did you know, did he give that out at all? That might be a like a cutting that gets passed around now.
2: No, he just he just uh, popped those uh, recently. Yeah, just, it was more recent kind of thing. The high on the new one is like very, uh, you smoke it, and then it's like very immediate up, and you're like, holy shit. And then, you know, it comes into a better relaxed high, but I find it's a much better high than, than the seventh people ground i'd be interested to
0: hear because you mentioned that uh you said yeah look it's good but we've got some better stuff i was actually looking at some band-aid haze crosses going is this the sativa i've been searching for it sounds like you guys have got other ones that might be more up my lane if i'm looking for that racy sativa sort of thing what might be some recommendations from your catalog for someone like me who wants that sort of effect
2: uh, well, everything. <laughs> yeah, we we really try to like we really sample everything. We really go by the highs and the smells. You know, that's sort. Those are the things that we really go by. Cause and we smoke. We like to smoke. So, um, yeah, that's something that we really try to it, it, you know Im- involve in everything we do. Uh, personally, I enjoy the Columbia or the Angle Red uh, Colombian Black Haze. Some of those were really awesome but you you find it in lots of different stuff that we have you know various pictures
1: yeah everything we have is uh been well tested and uh like we've gone through and made sure that it was um up to a, well it's basically what we're looking for in in a smoke and um
0: yeah interesting look i know our listeners are gonna heckle me if i don't get some more sort of indoor friendly ones out of you what like for someone who's because that's the complaint i hear like I'm, I'm like you guys right like i'm trying to get people to grow sativas and they always say you know oh, it's, i'm growing indoor it's tough do you have something that's like quite indoor friendly or manageable
1: oh yeah like uh we have uh congolese cross iraqi is actually uh sativa dom but uh it's very manageable our um, Iraqi pilgrim, we grew out uh three packs, so like 36 seeds. And uh there was two males in there that were semi-auto. That uh there's a few more that were semi-auto, but there was two good semi-auto males that I specifically used in the pollination of those crosses. So they're very uh like they're a lot
2: faster. Um yeah, it kicked down on everything for sure. And uh, it passed on uber good qualities to everything it touches. Uh, a lot of that Congo clone is really easy for a sativa, you know, nine or ten weeks and uh, you're good to go. So it satisfies most of the guys who are, you know, looking for something newer to try that's not so, so long. Crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, the, con- the Congolese is a very good um, commercial plant. And most of the most of the guys that grow it commercially, they cut it at nine or ten weeks, even though you can like there's a whole range of, you know, you can cut it early uh, or you can let it go a little bit later. Um, but it is it's actually better terp wise in the early part. Like most people would prefer it at nine or ten weeks because it has uh has more of the uh, lemon peel terps at the beginning.
2: Yeah, boot boot polish lemon boot polish. Yeah, good shit. We're going to get to the Congo later
0: because I, uh, I love that cutting. Thank you guys so much for that. But uh, I just want to loop back quickly to the Iraqi pilgrim stuff you were talking about. And you you mentioned um, that it was semi auto Is Do you mean that in sort of the way that some... Like, I know that, for example, blueberry is a bit like that, where it's like once it gets root-bound, it just tries to flower. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Or do you mean like in a true sense, it's a bit autoflowery?
1: Uh. I have a very basic definition of semi-auto. It's semi-auto is something that that triggers, and that it'll start flowering. But you can it. So if it's auto, basically you can't revegetate. You, you can you can revege auto stuff like with a bunch of techniques. Um, but semi-auto, like semi-auto, you can revegetate with uh, like pretty normal techniques.
2: Yeah, time and size of bucket.
0: You know.
1: Yeah, like uh or just take cuttings. Revent cuttings.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds like sort of what I was thinking. Like just I, I guess some strains I'm familiar with fall under that category and I just call them a bit temperamental, but <laughs> worth keeping around. But um The uh, the
1: the Iraqi pilgrim is uh it's what I would call a pseudo land race. Well it's not even really a pseudo land race, but it could be a pseudo land race because if you look at the description for it on Seed Heaven, um, the the guy that collected the seeds, he just he went on a tour of Iraq and uh, he just collected seeds from everywhere that that was that were good and put them in a bag. So it's like it's got a little bit of everything. So yeah, when we grew them, um, most of them weren't they were they are okay, but most of them were not things we would grow again. Unfortunately, um, we found a good female and a good male and and the rest is history (laughs) and we made f2s out of those so we got what we needed
0: that's awesome i was going to specifically ask I, i noticed on the website that you did f2 it and i was wondering was that just to have like a bigger pool to select from or was there like a specific reason you did that
1: well it was because it was good that's the main reason to make more seeds when you come across something good
0: Sorry, maybe I should be more specific. Was there was there a reason you didn't just use like an F one male and you went for the F two male instead?
1: Well, the more inbred something is, the more uh, you're able to predict what the outcome is. So, I'm always trying to you know increase the predictability in the in the hybridization. So, my goal is always to. if I have a choice between an uh, inbred male and, and a not in not inbred male, I'm always going to choose the inbred male, uh, unless there's some specific reason that uh, you know want to choose the other one. But yeah, it's always pre- preferable to uh, um, the male side of of your hybrid equation is always the one that has the most questions. So um, I like to use something that's inbred because then we have like we can. You know, if we have something that's inbred, we've grown it before, um, and it's relatively consistent from plant to plant, then we have, like, an idea of what that male is going to be like, more of an idea, basically.
0: Yeah, phenomenal. And I guess one of the sentiments you hear commonly expressed when people are talking about using inbred males is that the more inbred a line is, the more it tends to dominate the cross, do you find that to be the case, or is it more like what you just said before, where it's just more predictable but not necessarily dominating?
1: I think it depends on what it is. It really depends on what it is. Is it like some things that are like that are uh, blueberry? Blueberry's super dominant
2: in hybrids. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the blueberry vision was very when we uh, grew that out. Yeah, you could see the dominance like kicking down halfway or more all the time and something I didn't like preferably but yeah definitely a dominant one
1: um but um some things are are not non-dominant and actually uh for breeding sometimes you want a non-dominant male um because like let's say you're doing uh a shotgun breed where you have a male and you're bringing in you're loading your room up with Uh, everything that you can get your hands on (laughs) then uh, by having a non-dominant male then you're you're allowing all those other things to express themselves in the hybrids and you're not ending up with a a bunch of stuff that's you know really similar or
0: more similar i think that's such a valid and valuable point because i always try to say to people i think probably upwards of 90 percent of the time when the average person buys a seed, they're buying it for the mother. Like they want that clone only sort of mother, like most of the time. Of course there's some variation, but that's and that's why what you just said is perfect, right? Like if you've got a father that just allows the mum to shine through, then you can give people sort of the clone only that they can't get their hands on.
1: Well, that's <laughs> that's a tricky question yeah. because clone onlys are often like polyhybrids. They're just weird things that are not going to ever pop up again. Like sweet skunk, the plant we were talking about, for instance, um we've tried breeding with that so many times, and uh what comes out of it is never as good as the original cut, so we've just eliminated that from our <laughs> breeding program at all, uh, you know completely, yeah, a long time ago, so
0: yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear, so I guess that ultimately. You, you refine your females you work with over the years to be ones that work well in the breeding sense, not just like it's a popular cultivar.
1: Yeah, that's where we're always looking for stuff that um, works well as breeding, like in in hybridization. Um, like a good trait in a hybrid, in a you know, in hybridization, is a plant that the hybrids are better than the original, and one. Plant that uh, is like that is very reliable. Like that for us is the the grapefruit cutting, the BC grapefruit cutting. Pretty much anything that you put onto it, um, if it's you know half decent, you'll end up with something cool that's that's going to be more fun to grow than than the grapefruit.
0: And how do you find the grapefruit is in general? Because obviously it's like this popular strain; it's been around ages um do you think that the smoke itself is good or it's more what you said that it's like it's a good tool for the next step
1: it's all right it's uh like it's not uh super um potent or anything but it's really nice it's got a nice flavor it's it's the kind of weed that a lot of people like to smoke because it's just it's like savor weed you know weed that you just smoke to savor it and it's not like super potent so it, you no, know, for more there's a lot of people that they don't want to get whacked out of their head. You know, they just want to smoke something that's really nice that's got a bit of a relaxing high to it, and uh, it
2: yields well too. Is the other thing? Yeah,
1: it's a really big yielder, Um and it's fast. Yeah, fast. like they they used to harvest it at six weeks. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember I used to be skeptical of the forty nine day Cindy ninety nine, but you got that beat.
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily you know. Uh, Good point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Our South Asian brothers.
0: <laughs> uh, it's the same in Australia. Um, out of curiosity, I, I've spoken to Steve in the past, and I said, "What do you think grapefruit was?" And he said, "I think it's just an Afghani." What do you think? And and are you friends with Steve? Because yep. I noticed you had the grapefruit cut, and I was like, "I don't think even he has it anymore."
1: I my opinion is it's an NL
2: hybrid. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we've known Steve a long time. He's a real good guy. Um, lots, he's brought lots to the table over the years, and uh, he loves to talk. He's got that big booming voice, and people like to listen to it, You know,
0: That is the best description of his voice, isn't it? Very booming.
2: Yep. He's one of the uh, grandfathers. Yeah, he's like in the grandfather category for sure. <laughs> you better respect.
0: <laughs> so I just want to link back for a moment... You were talking about the Iraqi Pilgrim and you, you answered this in the question that I think you sort of said you got it off a website, but our listeners are always curious to know where do you source your land race seed from? Is it always sort of just haphazard or is do you have like a go-to method of trying to get new stock like or is it just sort of opportunistic?
2: A lot of it is just random. Very random, yeah. Yeah. Like- um-
1: some of like I, I actually like uh, buying seeds personally like when I see uh, land races on on um, uh, the real seed company, I like to buy a lot of stuff from them. and uh, like everything I buy, I'll buy three packs minimum because there's so much variation in that stuff um, that you really need you really need to dig through multiple packs to find stuff that uh, like to get a really good idea of what's going on there to, you know, and to figure out what you're looking for. Um, or you either that, or you're really lucky. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like the real seed company. I'm a big fan of those guys. And uh, like all the guys in India, the Indian land race guys, I was just going to ask you beat me to it. Yeah. Um, we've got some stuff from them through other people that other people have sent us um, that we're going to be, dipping into at some point yeah um and a lot of people like random people uh contact us and uh uh, trade us stuff
2: uh yeah like people from angola you know that have lived there just get a hold of us see our stuff you know send us a bunch of seeds to try and uh, yeah like lots of sharing back in the cw days you know lots of uh, sharing back then you know yeah
1: Yeah, and lots and some of our friends uh have been traveling around and they'll bring back seeds like one of our friends was in kenya and he he took the last plane out before they shut down uh like for covid yeah for covid and he had a bunch of seeds from he said yeah i got some seeds from some rasta um in kenya
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's great to hear and i think that that's sort of the way most breeders I speak to get their seeds, you know, it's sort of just like where you can. You mentioned the Angola and we actually had a listener submitted question and they were just curious. They said, what's the difference between the two different Angolas you use? I think one's the number 13, one's the number 18 from memory.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, smell and hide for one and uh, varying rate of intersex traits, you know
1: you want to explain how they how how where they came from
2: uh yeah they they came from they were sent to me from uh La Mano negro's collection his wife Katerina, and uh, it was given to him from a guy who uh sailed ships up the coast to uh what was the name of that island uh Capo verde capo verde i think yeah yeah yeah, so like a sea captain from Capo Verde i guess Gave him the seeds and they were sent out uh, after he passed. And um,
1: and that guy was like uh, getting seeds at uh, like uh,
2: um, places where they were uh, like
1: oil refineries. Yeah, like big
2: oil refineries going up and down the coast, you know, and just collecting things that he had liked.
1: Yeah, know. he wasn't like, he was just buying, he'd buy weed and get the seeds from coastal ports, you know. So he wasn't like, uh, you know, in the bush. Sampling all the plants.
2: <laughs> no, no. And uh, most of it was like garbage. Like a lot of it was garbage, very uh, heavily intersex. And uh, the 13 was more earthy pea kind of smells I-, I liked and very little intersex. And uh, the uh, 18 was more of a citrus thing. Like I had a higher citrus. Like you get that citrus out of the 13 too, but it's like m- muted a bit. It's, it stands out a little more in the 18. So, yeah, I just decided to keep most of those smells around for future uh, projects.
0: Yeah, nice. And, like, is there a certain variety that, the like, the strain, the effect is similar to? Like, you know, if you were to say, like, oh, if you like super silver haze, you'll like this. Obviously, super silver haze is bad example, but you know what I mean?
2: Um. Yeah, like, I put it in a category called the spiritual high, I guess. Not to get too, like, wavy gravy or anything, but uh, uh, different people have different experiences with cannabis, and one of them is definitely spiritual, I'd say, in the way you can connect to yourself, to that inner voice, right, kind of thing. And I'd say that uh, those uh, Angolas and, like, the Malawis and the stuff like that, it seemed to have that really uh, up high that's introspective and friendly, you know, not too racy.
1: Yeah, we're always, we're looking for stuff that's not necessarily racy, but more like a creative high, uh, a creative and like positive, you know, it's, yep. opens up your uh, heart chakra kind of stuff, like your heart chakra and your throat chakra and your third eye chakra, etc. cetera. Um.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I, I've always felt like they're a really underrepresented sort of sativa, most often sativa, and I've I, like, I think I probably haven't thought about this enough really, but I always sort of would tell my friends, like, I feel like there's two types of sativas. There's, like, the, the one that annihilates you and makes you paranoid and just like, oh, what am I doing? And then there's, like, the real clear-headed one that's sort of more like what you're talking about where it's, like, you're not riddled with anxiety and you're, like, actually upbeat and having a good time and feeling like, hey, I'm really connecting with this, actually. Um. yeah definitely an underserved strain in a uh, sort of a type of strain in our community i think
2: take turns the music up in my head like those are the kinds of things i look forward to you know the beat that's going it kind of takes it
1: yeah it. i like to um i like to count the the number of different uh ringing sounds in my head <laughs> <laughs> if you get more like the, more than two or three different sounds you know you're on to a good one yeah yeah <laughs>
0: 100%. that's interesting i mean um i think scabby just mentioned the malawi i mean i did want to ask you about that quickly just because you don't really see people outside of say like yourself and maybe like ace or cano really playing around with the malawi where'd you get yours from and how would you describe it to people is it like a haze or more like a different sort of sativa
2: the earthy African. Yeah, those Africans, they're not like long flowering sativa types. They're like in the shorter, like 10, 12 range, you know. Uh, so it's a bit more manageable in terms of uh, the timeline. And uh, yeah, you can find some really, really interesting things in there. But you've got to look through a bunch of seed and make some F2s. And
1: but uh, to further answer your question, oh, yeah.
2: we got the seed from... Um, La Mano Negra, yeah. Yeah, so the same stock is what those guys use. Yeah. I would send a big package when, after he passed that his wife made up for me. And there was, there, there still is a bunch of, uh, his old stuff in there. You know, we've gone through quite a bit of it, but, uh, yeah, he, he had a really good touch, you know, and he had, with plants and, uh, yeah, I definitely respect his collection and I'm glad that we can share some things, you know, with the world
0: yeah nice okay so yeah it's up there with that same proven sort of stock that the other guys have played with
1: yeah there's um uh what was that guy the the guy that was selling african seeds out of the uk that passed away like seven years ago um afro pips oh
2: yeah, yeah. afro
1: Pips. he had an, uh malawi as well but i i haven't uh experienced that and it's like it's like all things um when you get into those those types of seeds, you have to grow a bunch of them or be lucky <laughs> to get the, you know, to get the really experience what what it is you want to experience, you know, to get to find the really good Malawi or, or whatever.
2: Yeah, so if you're like a cash crop or this is, that's not the kind of thing you're you're going to want to like uh, enjoy it all. But, you know, if you're someone who lo- loves cannabis, these are uh, important lessons to learn and important things to share and pass on, you know, or do you...
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so take me back, guys. What was – we might have to get two independent stories here. What was your first experience with cannabis?
1: Um, Well, my first experience of wondering what cannabis was was um, in the late 80s. um, I was in something called the Navy League Cadets, um, which was like – Basically, like Cub Scouts with a a Navy theme, um, and uh, I was in uh, the band. And uh, one of the uh, officers, one day, we're up there, the ba- we're up there with the band, and he's for some reason he's talking about hemp rope, and he's and he said, uh, "Yeah, this hemp rope is uh, it's made of made from the same plant as marijuana." And then he had this really goofy smile on his face when he said it. <laughs> And my, uh, I was, I'm, I think I was like 10 or 11 years old. And, um, just the way, like the way he said, this is like, this is from the same plant as marijuana and had this big smile on my face. I, I knew there was something, something about that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't until, uh, I was in my, uh, like I, I'm, I'm kind of late to the scene. Um yeah, basically when I was around, uh, 19 or 20 is when I, is when I finally smoked it for the first time. And, and actually the first few times I smoked it, I was, it was, um, it was probably just the particular type of weed that it just was not, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't for me, but, um, uh, once I, once I, um, found, like I, I made a new friend, um, who was, a big pothead, and uh, he properly introduced it, introduced me to it when I was about twenty-one in uh, in Vancouver when I when I moved there for uh, for the second time. So yeah,
2: uh, yeah, okay. Well, when I was younger, I lived in a uh, fishing village on the east coast, and we would get uh, bricks of hash that would wash up on the shore or out in, from the fishing boat boats that from runners that would go by. So we would go up in our little camps in the woods and get some hot knives going. And we we do these saltwater hash dabs, right? And uh, they were pretty <laughs> gross now that I look back on it. And they used to call us animals and stuff like that. But uh, no, it was really fun. And uh, uh, one of the first weeds I ever really uh, loved was um, a guy that was on my island had been growing for a long time. And he had been inbreeding this Maui Waui that was finishing. And it would just get you fucking licked, you know. And uh, unfortunately, he died in a car accident. And I never got to, as I got older, I never uh, got to get those seeds from him. But uh, I grew with him a year or two and learned some things. And he he put me on my way. I think I was maybe 14 or 15. at time. Yeah. But yeah, I knew that weed would be a part of my life, you know. Like uh, you have the drinkers and the weeders. And as soon as you experience uh, some of those uh, awesome highs, yeah. I knew it would be a part of
0: my life. Wow, that's 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 cool. You got that sort of mentoring so early on, and I think my new phrase is going to be like, "Don't tell me you're heady unless you've done a saltwater hot knife." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's cool. And it's one of those yeah, ones yeah. where it's like, people will hear that and find it funny, but it's like it would have given you this type of high that you just don't experience anywhere else. You know, like as well as the set and setting, I'm
2: sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we were really close to Montreal, too. So you'd have a lot of different hashes coming, like the east coast of Canada. It was all hash, right? So guys would go to work in the factories, and they'd buy their quarter ounce or half ounce of hash for the week and mix it with their tobacco or whatever. You know, weed wasn't really a big thing on the east coast like it was on the west coast when I came to the west coast, you know. And that's changed over the years now, but that's just the smuggling routes, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like hash is, hash was traditionally not very popular in Western Canada, except for places that you couldn't get good weed. Like I grew up in the prairies and uh, there was, like, I never saw weed when I grew up. I only saw uh, people doing hot knives. That was my only experience of like, or I I would, sometimes I would smell people smoking really rough uh, joints on the street, like... (laughs) and wondering what you know I was I would smell that stuff and wondering what the heck was going on there because I didn't quite smell like a cigarette but i never like where i grew up um i grew up with uh the uh motor like the um muscle car crowd and we were, we weren't really big into smoking weed <laughs> we were into uh heavy metal and uh drinking booze more or less
0: and so i'd be interested to hear Ray, what was the moment that you realized cannabis because it sounds like it wasn't until a bit later on so what was the the eureka light bulb turning on moment for you where you were like this is what i got to do
1: um well initially it was just i was working as a machinist so um it was for me initially it was just the curiosity um And uh, I just started growing like my first grow was under some step under some stair, like a stairwell. And I made my own uh, fluorescent uh, fixture with like six little two foot long fluorescent bulbs. And it was like two foot by two foot square and maybe like two foot tall, you know, just hardly any space. Um, So, yeah, I was just more I was more curious with uh, like I. I come from a, a line of farmers um, on my mom's side of the family, so I'm I'm kind of like a gardener farmer by nature. So I was just curious about growing it, and the fact that you could grow your own was pretty cool. Um, but it wasn't really until uh, until maybe like 19 1998. I met a, a friend of mine who was I was going to um, school. At learning machine like uh tool and die. I was learning tool and die, uh, the trade. And, uh, I ran like, uh, I was at the school and they had this, uh, environmental kind of like, uh, uh, one day environmental conference. And this one guy was, uh, there talking about hemp and, uh, he just said like, you know, he had all sorts of different things that you could make out of hemp and things that were made out of hemp. And, uh, This kind of blew my mind at that point i was like whoa this is pretty wild like that was that was that was a point where i was i started um you know thinking about how it could be a part of my life basically
0: wow that's like that's like quite a unique one like i think most people including myself it's like after a really good hit but um you're at like a fair or something that's pretty cool (laughs) Um, okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, well, we were
1: getting, we were getting high the whole time too, but.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well that adds to it. That adds to it. So what were some of the first strains you guys were growing when you started growing? And was this at the time when strains had names or it was like just the kind or
2: whatever? Super Sativa Seed Club, like lots of that stuff was around. Yeah. Uh, Friesland, uh, the old, old Friesland was some of the first stuff. Some of my buddies, Maui Wowie. And uh like we would just order whatever we could off Mark Emery's site or whoever's, you know, the Dutch scene, the gray area, wherever, you know. Uh yeah, grew everything, just lots of different stuff. But that freeze land really finished outdoor in the, the east coast. So you'd see that a lot a, a lot around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Scabby grew up on the east coast and I grew up on the west coast, so our experiences are a little different. Um I got. I actually got to be a. I actually got to go into uh, Mark Emery's uh, little grow shop and buy seeds. So um, I knew all the varieties. <laughs> I was a bit of a seed nerd at that time. But the first seeds that I grew were sweet skunk from Reader Steve seed, uh, Spice of Life Seed Company, and they were very different from the select cutting. They were uh, very. A lot similar to a lot more similar to grapefruit. They were like indica hybrids, more or less. So I think that, um, I think the male that got used in that cross looking back was probably an F, possibly an F1, or it had variation in it. Um, and it was probably selected for indica traits, but it's spat out a little sativa fennel every so often because, like, what I experienced, what I got out of it was, uh, very, um, thick kind of nl uh, like nl uh, flavors um, mixed with uh, like savory thick nl flavors mixed with the uh, very citrusy grapefruit flavors, which is pretty different than what the the uh, breeder Steve cut is like
0: and did, did you get the cutting like around that time or it was much later you got it and you were like oh this is pretty different
1: yeah I didn't grow it until the cutting until the early 2000s
0: ah uh, okay
1: I don't I don't think that that cutting didn't uh, merge till later right no, no. But, yeah it was a
2: later thing like yeah. I
1: think the I don't know if you told the story you told the story but I think I, uh, something along the lines of they they it's like the uh, older, like it was some leftover stocks that they. Uh, Mark Emery had. Yeah. yeah, Mark Emery had that they grew
2: and found that particular cutting in. Is there a story like one in 500 or something? But I don't know. I've heard a couple things that's best for Steve to like billion on that. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. look, I can't remember specifically, but um, I'm, I'm sure it was a special plant.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the cowboy, maybe something like that, if I remember correctly. I don't know. It's been a long time.
0: Yeah, okay. And as a follow up for you, Scabby, I'd be interested to hear out of all the SSSC you grew, which was the one you missed the most?
2: Oh, Jesus. Fuck. Uh, honestly, that Friesland uh, was some of my favorite stuff ever because there was uh, Fennel's, like I've tried Fennel's now in the future, like. Uh, and uh, they, they just hit harder. There was, like, something, I don't know what the fuck happened, but something happened in their genetics. Like, the stuff I'm getting nowadays, the pink uh, the pink freeze and stuff, The all the other cuts that are around, they don't hit quite as hard as that old freeze land. Like, it, it was a very narcotic uh, buzz, right? And the weed was uh, so potent, like, it'd be drying in your house, and you'd, like, I'm out of here. You know, you can't even stay in the house. It would make you sick. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know why it changed, but something definitely. happened.
1: And you grew a bunch of that, right? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah For sure. And we grew it in the future too. Uh, like in the future, you know, <laughs> uh, like around two, 2003 and stuff, we got a bunch of, uh, M 39, M 36, uh, M 38, uh, and uh, it was uh, reproduction stuff, I I bet, but it was all very uniform and the same, but no real punch. Yeah, the original was probably an F one. Yeah, F1. that's that's probably what was happening. And, and uh, like, yeah, that that same time uh, when we first grew the uh, what was that one by Steve? That was so nice. The first seed lot he had out. Lumber? No, uh. Sure. Shishkeberry. shishkeberry yeah yeah that first seeds of shishkeberry that we grew i it was just really powerful and beautiful and everything i ever tried after that it just didn't didn't uh, stand up to it but, uh, now that i look back that's probably what it was it was the f1 and, yeah
0: yeah i think that you have certainly nailed that shishkeberry one on the head i think it, it was either steve or dj i can't remember which one because we, we've spoken to them both in the past and they said that it was like the mail they used it's it's gone down and hit like there are like fans who can quote this mail too it's like B150 something but it's got like a label and people know it and it's like yeah it it made some incredible stuff it was like that first Shishka Berry as well as the other stuff when they were doing that when DJ and Steve were doing that work together it's it's uh it's kind of impressive i guess that like your palette picked up on that on its own
2: well, yeah, that's one of the fun things about weed is we're, uh, bio-essaying all this stuff and we're building a little computer in our brains, you know, and, uh, that's the real fun thing to me. Like you, we have all these uh, THC limits and, you know, this terpene and that terpene, but to me, and I, I, I think the funnest thing is just building your own library in your brain, you know, and the, the smells, the memories that the smells kick out, you know, uh, that take you back or in your etheric brain in my etheric brain yeah definitely so
0: moving forward what was the first cross you guys made individually or together but i also want to know tell me about the cross was it intentional or was it like a happy accident
1: uh i my original seeds that i ever made were actually just sweet scum twos. just the only reason i did it was to see if i could do it and I actually, I don't, and I grew, I grew actually gruesome out, but I, like, I don't even, I don't even know because I was so inexperienced at the time. Like, some of the stuff I was doing, I would just, I would laugh at, I would laugh my ass off at some of the shit I was doing back then. <laughs> but I mean, I was only uh, 20 years old or whatever, 21 or whatever. Um, and I, I was, uh, I kept to myself. So I wasn't, um, like I wasn't in the scene learning, uh, cannabis, uh, cultivation techniques from other guys that could have taught me some good shit. I was like, uh, just reading gardening books. <laughs> Cause I wasn't, I wasn't that serious about it at that point, but I was, um, yeah, it was
2: just a curiosity for me. Uh, some of the first ones <clears throat> for me, excuse me. Uh, would be like uh unintentional stuff. Almost. We were doing a lot of gorilla growing at the time I in the wilderness and, uh, like, uh, it was very cold back there. So I would come back in the springtime and oh my God, I had some seeds that were growing up, you know, from the old holes or whatever. Right. Those were some of the first crosses. So they were like inbred Maui Waui things that had been inbred for shortness over and over and over again in the, in that season to get something to work. Uh, yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. And as a follow up what was the first cross you did where as like I guess it's what was the cross you did where you looked at the end results and you were like this is really good like I need to sell this and like was that the first cross you brought to market or was it just what
2: it was right it we came through a weird time like with prohibition and stuff you know we it was like a war zone right like people were getting arrested everywhere and going to jail and Um, it, it was just fun to make seeds and share seeds and get it out there and, you know, stick one up to the man kind of thing. But, uh, I think it just grows into a lifestyle the more you do it and your aptitude for it. Like, you know, he's really into gardening and stuff like that. So it just, it's kind of a natural thing that comes about, I think for both of us really.
1: Yeah. I don't even remember, like, I can't even honestly answer that question (laughs) to be honest, because I, I was young and I was just so, uh, so stoned like when anything anything that i can think about related to cannabis i was just so stoned at that time like um there's such a difference between um the reasons i was smoking weed for back then and like my experiences of it back then and uh and now and like or you know in the present uh era (laughs) so um yeah i was just uh i mean just doing like this making a bunch of random stuff and, um but yeah when um when i started working with uh when i worked with reefer Man, that's when uh, like i made a whole bunch of crosses and invariably some of that stuff worked out even though i was you know still not really fully understanding what i was doing learning on the job kind of thing
0: <laughs> we've heard many a people get such work experience and I'd be interested to delve into that a little more like I know that you got your start with a uh, sort of the prairie fire and reefer man days what what sort of genetics were you working with and um as you sort of just alluded to were you aware of sort of the popularity the work was going to go on to receive or was it all quite a surprise to you
1: Uh, well I didn't like I didn't really know re- like reefer man or of uh, reefer man. um I just met him randomly I was living on the sunshine coast. Um, yeah. And I just met him one day and hes we clicked and, uh, he said, uh, come work with me and, uh, the rest is history. And I just, uh, I was just a guy and I knew a little bit about growing weed and making seeds, um, enough to get by. And, uh, he basically, you know, set the agenda. Like, uh, you know, like I, you know, I, I hadn't, I was not part of that world of, of, uh, making seeds and selling seeds. So yeah, I just uh, just learned all, about all that stuff on the job, and uh, you know, figured things out uh, just through trial and error. Um, and eventually, I'm you know, we would get feedback uh, like from the seeds, and I have somewhat somewhat of a good idea of what worked and what didn't work. But uh, I didn't get to grow out, out uh, you know, all of that stuff, so I don't know exactly what worked what didn't but you can uh, like get an idea of some stuff that works because people are still growing it so you know some things i know are good
0: (laughs) so what sort of parents were you working with and did any of them leave a lasting impression on you where you were like oh you know that tie was really good um he had uh
1: he had his own seeds and he had some seeds from steve tuck
0: um the heroin guy yeah
1: He he traded a bunch of seeds with Steve Tuck, so he had some cool things from him. He he got like Nepalese and uh, a bunch of random, he had a bunch of random IBLs. He had like hash plants, uh, Steve Tuck, that he traded with us. um, Tajikistani, Uzbekistan, there's like four of those uh, Middle Eastern hash plants, so I got to grow some of those. Um, I mean, a lot of it was, uh, he was uh, more commercially oriented, like uh, like cash plants and stuff. So like that era for me, the like the early BC days was uh, it was all about commercial plants, like wood plants look good in a bag, uh, smell good in a bag and uh, yield really big. <laughs> that was, that was basically the like a lot of the plants that were mass produced at that time. Um, there was a plant called, Romulan that are like, uh, Joe Romulan that people are familiar with that, um, that, uh, it, uh, it's not around anymore because it was not a a fun plant to grow. And it was, it made a lot of small buds. Like it was like a, like a sativa frame, uh, with little indica buds on it. So it probably was pain in the ass to trim. Um, and probably not. Like probably just not a good sea of green plant, I, I imagine, based on the description that I've heard of it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like like you see a lot of uh Romulan stuff around, and um, our friends that grew Romulan say that uh, like none of that stuff looks like the original Romulan. Like the original Romulan that they grew back then was um, little rock, rock hard buds that didn't get uh, any bigger than a than a like a jawbreaker like really small round buds and i remember getting the uh like we bought some some jars from joe when he was bringing them into vancouver and they came in half-sized jars what we call salmon jars the ounces came in half size jars so it was super dense it's like uh form form cookies you can get it pretty dense too like it'll fit in a smaller jar um so yeah, it was really rock hard stuff, but um where am I going with this? Smelled like pine. Yeah, pine and and uh uh meat, really meaty. Yeah. And kind of like uh curry, uh lemon lemon curry. Um sounds delicious. Yeah, it was really nice. Really nice read.
2: Yeah, I never got to try it, so I'm a little bit jealous, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm there with you, man. I didn't get to try it either. But there's so many things we're going to have to loop back on. But seeing as we're talking about Romulan, let's let's smash a few out of the park. Do you have any idea or just any general guesses as to what the genetics are? You know, it's one that's so up in the air and I just... I don't think... Like, there's a lot of things we don't know about, right? Like Chemdog and OG. But, like, a lot of those things we have an idea. But with Romulan, I'm like, I just don't know.
1: I think that's one that... uh the story went to bed with the uh, the last like the people that have passed away.
2: <laughs> yeah, kinda. I think so too. Because yeah. it
1: seems like there's a lot of, like we've seen a lot of weird stories um, come out of stuff that we know the real story of. So it's one of those things where the story is so ridiculous that I just don't believe it. You know, like I don't. I'm highly skeptical of, of the different stories out there. So
0: I think uh, what is it? Leafly says that Romulan is derived from a Korean land race.
1: <laughs> yeah, it could be, but uh,
2: like... Big, big, uh, big skunk? <laughs> big Korean skunk? No, no, know? it was
1: like Korean, and then they, they added in
2: oh, Colombian Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, way back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. And then yeah. they
1: added in... Well, that's the story. It started off <laughs> with Korean and Thai and Colombian or something and like that. And every so
2: often they would add in some stuff that was coming around that was good, right, and make and it then they, seed.
1: Yeah, and then they added in uh, uh, Afghani in the story. Um, and, then they, the and then they didn't, no, no, that's oh, not the end. Okay. No. no, they didn't like the direction. So oh, they, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, yeah, So they added in more Colombian or something that's like right. that. Yeah. But yeah, apparently it came from Romulan, according to the story we heard. Port Alberni. Brace yourself. Came from a hydro store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. It came from the original hydro store on Vancouver Island. In uh, Well, it was one of the original early hydro stores in uh, Port Alberni. And so, I don't know who called it Romulan, but it was a plant that was circulating in that, that community, which is uh, it's on the west coast of Vancouver Island. So, most of the population of Vancouver Island lives on the east coast. So, I guess it's a little bit uh, off the
2: beaten track. Joe would have been working at this hydro shop at that time. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah.
0: So, do you think the people who had Romulan back in the day did have the real Romulan?
2: Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I talked to Robbie about it, uh, a vision creator. Uh, He grew lots of it when he was living down there in the city in the early days, you know. He had a couple houses of it. and uh,
1: He had cut houses. It was one of the major cuts at that
2: time. Yeah, It was circulating. And it just kind of disappeared. It's like the era of Pink Kush. It's disappearing in front of our feet right now, right? It just happens. People get bored and move on with stuff, right? Better stuff.
1: Yeah, like there was uh, in back in those days, there was eras based on the predominant cuttings yeah. that were circulating. It was the cuttings that the cutting uh, houses were choosing to propagate and sell that determined what was ultimately ending up in the market. Because yeah, yeah, the cutting those cutting houses were rocking up.
0: That's interesting, and and like I mean, you often hear a lot of people talk about the cuts in circulation at the moment not being real, and I guess. Let's put that aside for the moment and instead talk about how there's like these alternative lines like I think like famously there was Federation Seeds which crossed like White Rhino and then did like this whole BX thing on it. Have you ever tried those alternative Romulan cuts that like aren't the real ones but are still out there? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you think do you think they're good or they're not like it's not the same? They're
2: okay, but it's not it's totally not the same. Yeah, they're okay but totally not the same for sure.
0: Yeah,
1: like the Romulan I mean, what I could believe about the Romulan story is that it was, there was a crew of guys that were, that had seeds. Like back in those days, you know, you got to imagine that just to be able to get seeds that were like, worth something worth, you know, possibly worth growing. Those would have been like hugely valuable at the time. So yeah, there was seeds that would have come from Oregon and California. um, that made it up to Vancouver Island and there was a lot of, um, americans in bc back in those days so draft dodgers yeah so i could see that part of the story where there was guys mixing up genetics trying to find some stuff that would work um but yeah i don't know about the validity of uh but yeah okay to to uh elaborate more on those new romulans um there's a a cutting that's circulating as a as seventy seventy nine romulan um we've kind of figured out just by looking back and you can look at on archive.org uh, at Uh If you go back into next generation in whatever, whatever year, like 2000, early 2000s, um, they had a Romulan seven of nine. So that was, I think it was uh, like, I can't remember the description, but it was like a, seven times back cross or something like
2: yeah that. something like that yeah back cross
1: so that's just an example of how like uh stories can kind of get out of whack you know like there there's this cutting being circulated as as 79 romulan but it's actually
2: seven of nine see rom- how it got misplayed right all of a sudden now it's pre-98 right but it's just it was seven of nine uh just the word play and telephone <laughs> how it works right
0: yeah definitely look it sounds quite plausible i'd be interested to hear do, have you tried any of the other related cuts to sort of romulan like these are just some fan submitted ones so like the alberni pine bud or
2: the romi yep yep do they stand up to romulan or not really no no it's like we're we're always like looking for that a fucking whacker and uh yeah
1: there's a uh There's a cutting I got from an old-timer friend of mine that came from Salt Spring Island, um, but it turns out it was one of those uh, next-generation or Federation seed line uh, cuttings that they just selected out, that they'd been growing for years and years, but it wasn't the same. Like, this, the cutting, I the um, Salt Spring Romulan cut that I grew, um, it was very uh, single-cola dominant, whereas, like, the original plant is supposedly... Uh, lots of buds like yeah like a big mess of branches and buds little
2: buds (laughs) popcorny maybe what's that a word
1: well they're not really
2: popcorn because they're yeah yeah. yeah yeah okay and
0: i just want to loop back you were talking earlier about some hash plants and we we got a number of really good questions from some of our listeners and one of them sort of asked Uh, that specifically there's like a number of the BC hash plants and cushions that were associated with facilities on the Vancouver Island back in like the late 90s, uh, uh, sorry, late 80s, early 90s. And the rumor was that like they came from seed that was brought in with hash, like maybe like king hash or queen or champagne or something. Notably, White Buffalo has worked with most of, if not all of them, do you, do you know the backstory on any of these kushes or hash plants? Um, and do you think they stand up to the stuff we see today?
1: Uh, yeah, they're good. Um, do I know the story about them? No, I don't know the story about them. I just know that they uh, came out of the the um, motorcycle go- motorcycle club breeding collective. <laughs> um, like Nanaimo, the Nanaimo Motorcycle Club, they were the predominant importers of of uh, of central asian hash in canada probably in like possibly in north america at that time so yeah there's probably more afghani coming through the west coast than the east coast right
2: yeah definitely yeah. In, in that way yeah
1: so those i mean i could believe it like apparently they, they pulled seeds out of blo- uh, blocks of hash was the story but i don't know about that like i don't know if i believe those stories just because I um some of those seem like polyhybrids to me. So I don't I don't know if I believe the story. And they're just they're pretty nice. So I would tend to like my in my mind, um, if I didn't know anything about it, I would say they're probably like a lot of stuff in like that early Canadian stuff was that um that early Canadian stuff came out of was from Holland, Holland seeds.
2: <laughs> I think my favorite like cushy thing from back then is like the special K. That's probably one of my favorites that stood the test of time. But that's,
1: that's even later than that. Yeah. Stuff.
2: Yeah. That's even later than that stuff. Definitely. Yeah.
1: But, but uh, yeah. So those, when I was working with Reeferman, he got three hash plant cuts and uh, two of them are related. One was called, it was called purple King. And then he uh, like renamed it to pink Kush cause it had nice pink stigmas. And the other one was called, they just called it the king. And like at that time, I just knew they're you know they're related, possibly related because they're both named King. Um, yeah. But then we we've done a bunch of breeding with them over the years. So we've hit them with all sorts of things and grown out the progeny. Um, and actually just by uh like growing out the stuff, I would tend to think that they're not land racy things because the stuff that comes out of them is really like uh
2: seem like they're polyhybrids yeah they're less than of the whole some of the whole a lot of the time right and uh yeah but they're really the the thing
1: about them is they make really awesome uh bubble hash
2: bubble hash yeah definitely they definitely there's
1: something special about those two plants that they make a type of hash that you very rarely see in commercial or like in any weed plants that when you go to push the hash together it doesn't stick together. It pushes apart. Yeah,
0: weird tricol. Right, yeah, almost like there's, like, static when you apply pressure and it just pushes it apart or something. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's,
1: like, they're, yeah, it's like they're really hard to push into uh, when, they're, when they're really fresh, like, when you're, um, you know, not cured or anything. Um, they kind of, like, just the terps, I guess, or whatever compounds are in there. But um, they're really um, – it's really, really nice – hash uh yeah Yeah. like the the flower is not like super potent or anything but the hash is really nice candy yeah Yeah. those two particular plants the king and the pink kush yeah
0: look that's great because as you might have imagined we got a number of questions from the fans about the pink kush because you know like it's so prevalent and popular over the past you know decade or two and yet there also is so much sort of mystery around it just to confirm are you saying that um pink kush comes from a cutting that was originally called king and then he renamed it to pink kush and then there was another cutting and he called that king thereafter
1: well no it's what they were they were called they were already called purple king and the king um but my friend i haven't like i met another friend later on who was growing those and uh he called them purple king, and he white. said the other one was white, white king, king or green king. <laughs> so they were just calling them. But um, I mean, it was just you know, they were. I think they were probably selling most of it as king. You know, whether it's purple or green. You know, you'd be like, oh, I got a bag of king, and it's like, oh, did you get the purple king or the green king? I think that's how it went down. If I had to guess.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But yeah, those pretty those particular cuttings were really um, tightly held for the longest time. And so when reefer Man got him, he was probably one of the first guys outside of the circle to actually get them. And like my friend that I met later, he was also one of those guys that he said he would have gotten in trouble if somebody, you know, the wrong person found out that he was growing it.
0: Wow. Very tightly held. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. 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 This is like tight. Tighter than tight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And like, if you had to guess the genetics, you said you think it's a polyhybrid of some sort. Do you think it's hash plant cross something, or
1: it's probably like uh, if I had to guess. Um, and li- li- like I said before, I have no idea. But in my mind, it would be a cross of maybe it could be a old world uh, hash plant that they pull that they pull out of bricks that they were hitting it with. Um, seeds that they were getting from Holland something that, that would be my guess that they got something like Afghani or like they may have gotten some hash plant seeds from Holland and mixed it with you know what they were getting out of bricks or maybe they got a bunch of different plants out of bricks uh, seeds out of bricks and were hitting like mixing them up so I I mean I just can't say I, but I do think that it was a polyhybrid that's basically all I'm trying to say is I think it's uh, a polyhybrid or both of them are but yeah, after after doing a number of different hybrids with those king cuttings, um, it would it to us that the the green king is the mother of the of the pink cush. Yep. Because when you hit the pink cush, you get way more banos out of it, and they're like way all over, like all over the place. Like you'll know, It's like a really good. Um, it's a really good plant for finding uh, wild stuff. Because uh, like it spits out stuff that you wouldn't predict, <laughs> and come out of there. Yeah, but on the other, like on the other side of things, it's a, I would think it would be a really hard plant to inbreed to try and like uh, capture, you know, what it uh, what the cuttings like, unless you like uh, feminized it. To try and make a seed line out of it, I think would be fairly challenging.
2: Very.
0: Yeah. Okay, and out of curiosity. Do you think it stands up to the stuff today? And if so, why do you think it's sort of falling off in popularity?
1: Um, well, it is the stuff for today.
2: Yeah, it is, big and it's hard to grow too. I mean, it's not the easiest shit to grow.
1: Yeah, pink Kush is the number one plant uh, grown in Canada right now. I would say. Yep, definitely. I can't think of anything else. Maybe GMO is probably coming <laughs> up. Um, but yeah pink kush seems to be like at least here where we are where we
2: like, are it rules the yeah. market
1: yeah, where we are it's just it's all pink kush like literally nine out of ten people are growing pink kush uh in the whole west coast of bc seriously
0: so just to clarify you think like it's sort of still on the uptrend, or like or at least it's not falling off at all
2: Oh no, it's falling off the cliff and it's like doing a 9,000 foot uh, free fall into (laughs) hell right now as we speak. Yeah, it's, 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 air is done. It's It's over. Yeah. It's like stick a fork in it. It's hopefully this fall we'll see something pop up and, you know, we'll see this kind of,
1: yeah, there's definitely like, uh, I think the next trend is going to be some, uh, flavor, a bunch of flavor weed. Um, but I think, uh, I think we're going to see a bunch of different stuff instead of one you know instead of pink kush dominating i think we're going to see a bunch of weird stuff um because like all the guys that are growing it uh they now have uh pink kush uh ptsd yeah, so
0: for sure <laughs> <laughs> the blue dream of canada
1: well it's just been overgrown and they uh the combination between the last 6 mu- in the last 6 months the canadian legal flower market like the canadian legal cannabis market has flatlined the sales have not increased, um, so those guys are dropping all their prices. So they're like, there's like a huge war basically between commercial legal weed and commercial black market weed. So basically, uh, at the end of the day, um, there's too much pink Kush, <laughs> and uh, the price has has to drop down to nothing basically because there's no one, no one's buying it like they're like yeah i got like you know the guys that are buying it already have what they have you know they don't need any more <laughs> and the guys that and farmers being farmers um when the price of a crop goes down double down yeah you got to double your double your production and uh so we're we're uh, seeing that yeah we're gonna have obviously that's not that situation not gonna work out too well so
0: And out of curiosity, do you think the – you mentioned like, you know, the next big push will be like fruity, flavorful strains. Any predictions at all? Do you think it will be something that jumps over from California or maybe something unique will come out of the woodworks?
1: Um, Well, in Canada, a lot of guys uh, pull stuff out of random seed stocks. Um, And a lot of it is just like, uh, you know, BX or whatever. It's just, you know, a lot of it is name cross name kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's just—it's uh, got the right names, um, and they'll pull stuff out of that. And, um, but definitely, there's a uh, ton of stuff coming up from the states. Like, we actually have the amount of um, elite cuttings in Canada is is pretty huge. Like, it's pretty impressive, actually. Um, so I'm just saying, like, I think uh, I think the fruity thing is going to be the next thing just because, uh, it's, you know, that's the big trend down South. So, um, and we're already seeing, um, what guys are asking for. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's stuff that has, uh, you know, like fruity, um, I call it like flavor weed. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it.
0: Yeah, no, that works. That works. I understand. <laughs> Let me take us back for a little bit to those earlier days. And uh, we've got some really cool fan submitted questions here again. And they just sort of asked, you know, in the earlier days, there was like a number of seed companies that were all operating out of the same post office on Nanamayo. Nanamal. Is that how you say it? Nanamal. Vancouver Island. Yeah. Was there like much collegiality, like cooperation between the different groups or was everyone just like keeping their head down, doing their own thing?
1: Um I would say everyone was fairly independent back in those days. And um, the fact they were using the same mailbox just means that that was a tolerant uh, mailbox. <laughs> it was the same thing in Vancouver. There's a mailbox by Emory Seeds that when the seed market in Vancouver opened up, like they all got mailboxes at that um, money mart um, by Emory Seeds.
0: Yeah, okay. So I was thinking, like, did the mail staff ever say anything? Because, like, you're getting, like, these hordes of mail from all over the world and, like, the volume of packages you're sending.
1: Uh, like, I don't, I don't know, you know. <laughs> to be honest, I don't – I just know they tolerated it and, I mean, I don't know. Like, you can't uh, – there's so much privacy with uh, mail laws that uh, I don't think it's really up to the staff, you know, to determine – yeah um I think that's the jurisdiction of like the postal service to determine if there's something not you know not right going on.
0: Um, yeah, no, that makes sense yeah well an- another question we got sort of around that time was, did any of the DEA raids on Mark Emery or the general crackdown around that time ever affect you or get you sort of concerned? and as a follow up, did it did it affect seed sales either going up or down?
1: Well, it definitely affected seed, the seed sales that he was generating. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, at those, like by the time he was getting busted, there was, there was a ton of other seed companies. So, um, the seed sales were just exploding at that time, you know, whether you bought from Mark Emery or Kind Seeds or a bunch of the other ones, there was a bunch of them. I can't remember them all. But yeah, at that time there was, uh, there's a place called the Pot Block in Vancouver and, uh. There was some buildings there that, like uh, landlords, that were tolerant landlords, and they would rent out to uh, various seed guys. Uh, like uh, Smoking Sean was one of them. Kind seeds, uh, Legend seeds, Emery seeds, of course. Um, Guy down around the corner. Kind seeds. Kind, it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, There's a few others. Uh, Canada seed Bank, seed Bank, Canada, Seed Bank of Canada, the. It was super sketch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, th- those were the original seed uh, Canadian seed bank pioneers, and there was a few in uh, the east coast. There was the uh, London Seed Bank. Yep. Chris Clay. Yep. Um, Quebec I'm, Seed Bank.
2: Yep. Uh, okay. Of course, Heaven's uh, Stairway. Heaven's Stairway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who else would be in there? uh well those were the
1: main
0: those were the main main guys so yeah yeah interesting those guys did it spook you at all oh no (laughs) i mean uh like the
1: main concern is uh just being rated at your personal you know
2: grow or whatever yeah i've been rated like three times and through the uh through the whole rigmarole right so uh, luckily we had excellent lawyers like Kirk Tsau who stood up for lots of growers around this around the west coast and you know helped pave the way for the uh, MMAR program and then the ACMPR on and on we go
0: interesting interesting just to to chuck things over to a, an older strain i'd love to grab some perspective on the Texada time warps probably one of the most widely dispersed outdoor genetics in Canada and it originates from like, you know, the VC Island. Do you think this is probably the oldest Canadian clone going around? Cause I think it was, it comes from like the seventies or something, doesn't it?
1: Well, there's some, uh, I mean, there's questions about anything that that's, that's that old. There's questions about. Um, but I mean, I've grown it since, uh, the early 2000s. So it's at least 20 years old. Um, you know, it's hard to say like some of these cuttings that people think, I think people's uh, memory, you know, there's a little bit of memory loss uh, involved, you know, with a lot of these cuttings that people think that they're a lot older than they actually are. Like uh, just cause uh, you know, maybe, you know, the people weren't, they weren't there and they, you know, they weren't, they weren't there when it like it emerged onto the scene and um, you don't really know, you know,
2: <laughs> like just uh we'll go back a little bit. The guys at that time on Texada, uh, they were getting seeds sent up from Humboldt County uh, as well, all over the ha- hippie hash trail, you know, and um, you had a lot of people that were, uh, you know, they weren't uh, rich. They uh, barely had electricity or if they had electricity, it was the house down the road that they used once a week or something, you know? So when that, in that time frame, I think a lot of uh, those things were mixing and there was a, Fell on the island that made some seeds, Mister Lambert, and passed them out to uh, the the community. And they kept looking for the fastest finishers, right, uh, every year. And I think in four or five years that something like the time warp came up. Is the story I've heard, and uh, in the late seventies, in the late seventies, around seventy nine, and those guys didn't even have electricity. They went to their parents' house and put a uh, fluorescent light, uh, you know, in the closet. And took a cutting and reveged it, kind of thing. And um,
1: yeah, they had to learn about uh, revegging and
2: cloning. Yeah, that was like all new.
1: And like light, like what's the kind of light you use to grow a plant indoors to keep it alive over the winter?
2: <laughs> and over the years, you know, we've seen it uh, really take a beating in terms of uh, like how it grows. You know, it's become powdery mildew, susceptible. That thing, powdery mildew wasn't even the thing when we were like young, you know. You never saw it ever around, right? So how the fuck would that plant even know, right? But uh, yeah, it's a, and it's an interesting story, right? And
1: that, that like I personally, I assume it's an old plant just because back in the day, the sure. old time the old timers um, held it with you know quite a bit of reverence. So I assume it was, I assume it's like maybe thirty years old at least. Maybe
2: um, I know the guy that I got it from. Um, his son he had had it the whole time his son was alive, and his son died at the age of twenty so I mean it's at least twenty years tagged on to what we've got
1: yeah right so i there. mean theoretically it could um could be from nineteen seventy eight but I you know like maybe there's something added on in the, in the early in the eighties or whatever that we don't know about yeah there
2: was, there was like a lot of camaro driving people back then, <laughs> and uh like one thing they like to do is they'll uh like i've been around here a long time and they'll take genetics like time warp indica a3 but they'll just call it time warp and they'll give you a cut right yep this is my time warp cut you know but uh, when you go and sit down and smoke with them they're like no that's the mighty might afghan time warp indica a5 a3 blah 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 you know it's got all this shit in it (laughs) that they cross together every year to get something out of the season right so i think you know there's could be a little bit of that, that play too but
1: yeah, there's so many there's so many uh cuts over the years that people have called time warp that they have been handed around that word time warp. Yeah, it's same it's the same thing with Romulan. I bet you there's like fifty Romulan cuts out there.
2: But the one we have is the original one that all the old people grew and uh yeah, verified. So And it's good. It's good weed, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we we think it's you know it's it's good enough to keep around for however long it's been around for.
2: I mean it's got really cool qualities too, like the uh the way it flowers and passes on those flowering genetics to other plants. Yeah, you know?
1: it's got uh, it's got autoflower in it, so it it's it has autoflower in its genetics. But as a plant, it's a semi-auto plant. Yeah. So, so when it gets root bound, it starts flowering. Generally,
0: what do you think the genetics are? Because it's obviously a sativa, right?
1: You know, the closest thing I've seen is uh, something called Nigerian Nightmare. It kind of reminds me of it, which is like an, a Nigerian hybrid. Um it's it kind of seems like it could be something like there's some uh African or Southeast Asian or who knows, like some sativa that's reasonably fast, you know, in in there. That would be my guess that there's it's a mix of uh something semi like something auto flowering that they mixed with something um with maybe a little bit of Afghani, but maybe not.
2: Not a whole lot, yeah.
1: Because uh, like that w- in those days, Afghani wasn't even really like not a thing. Yeah, Yeah, really. it wasn't even really a thing until the '80s.
2: So. And uh, I like when I grow it inside, I see like a a, th- a plant that's Southeast Asian and Thai like, you know. And when it gets into the sun, it gets more of the hashiness of like something you find in the Middle East come out kind of a little bit. Um, but uh we sent it into what the fuck was that company called again? Yeah. Philos. Philos. Nothing banged up on the. Family meter I don't think did it no it's
1: there's nothing related, to nothing related their, to it so.
2: database. I mean you hear the the guys who were running around the hash trail you like uh you hear Yeah, it could be like a nepalese cross or something like yeah, that. yeah, something weird like that, right yeah. uh one of the cuts that came out of teexxe was a three indica, and it came out of hemp seed, you know, people were throwing hemp seed in their in their yard, and it was a plant that came up that ended up you know getting grown for years and years, so um. Had a really nice grape smell, big buds, but it. The weather was better back then, I think too. We had longer, longer summers. It's we've gotten more rain in the falls these years, so I think uh, you, you got to gotta keep up with the breeding, right?
1: Well, I think also um, plants are used to a specific time period. Yeah. As as crazy as this sounds, um, they're used to their the environment they were born in, and uh, obviously the earth is slightly it's more than slightly different the earth is different <laughs> they like the climate is different from when it was back then so there's a lot of different things that have changed since those days so i don't think a like a plant is has evolved for a specific time period and like we're way past that time period so it would make sense that that plant is is not uh, uh adapted for the conditions right now
0: yeah, I can get down with that. And just as one final question to sort of wrap up on the Time Warp questions, I noticed you guys work with a plant called Pine Warp. Is that one that's just, in your opinion, sort of like an all-round improvement on the Time Warp, or is it different and sort of its own thing?
1: Uh, it's a commercial plant.
2: Yeah, it was during the time when there was a lot of outdoor growing going on on the coast, and they were looking for something that was like... Mm. And... Uh, just harder nugs that would, uh, bigger nugs, bigger nugs that would fill a bag the faster, mar- faster, faster finishing. The market was changing, easier you know? trimming, easier trimming for sure. More weight totally. And, yeah. uh, it was across, uh, the tree frog was its sister, I think. And it was, uh, cream possibly a cream soda. Yeah. It across. reminds me of the cream soda, uh, times the time warp, or, yeah, really. that would be my guess for sure. That's what it is. I, nobody will tell you that, but that's what it is. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, cream
1: soda was one of the original building blocks back in the day.
2: Ah, okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. There you go.
1: Yeah. A friend of ours uh, on the island grew some, uh, some, some of the mix that came from Texada, like from the Texada crew. And it was um, definitely had some cream soda in there. <laughs> in my, my guess. I mean, my, my, my uh, theory or whatever. But yeah, um, the cream soda it has like every, when you cross it with something, it'll give you every single color combination possible. So that's kind of why uh,
2: um, some of the stuff like uh, Pine Warp and Tree Frog has got some cool colors going on. And the original ones were like uh, baseball bats, you know, you could knock your friend out with <laughs> it, like boom, you know, super thick and hardy and uh, yeah. The pine warp was definitely an improvement on that, but the thing that sucks about the pine warp is it has uh, those terpenes that don't hang around a long time. So when you get into a bag of it, you know, two months down the road, you're like, oh, what is this? You know, it's got to go first, right? And that's the way thing, you know, it was early. So you get a higher price for your weed. Uh, if it was in if, like that three weeks earlier than the market, you know, you'd get a little bit of a bump. So people were always chasing that over the years. right? Yeah,
1: because there'd be a, a drought
2: in August. Yeah, there wouldn't be any weed around, right? It'd, we'd be out and those days yeah. don't exist anymore. Yeah, so it, that was part of like how the indoor um,
1: thing evolved is because there was this drought in August. And uh, to take advantage of that, you know, you'd want to run a indoor crop. Because, like, the price was, you could sell everything at the highest price and it could be wet and you'd get, like, 3,600 a pound wet.
2: American back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So.
0: Interesting. And w- another variety I wanted to quickly ask a question about was, I noticed that you guys use a plant you call the Special Cush in the Special Cush Haze. What's the backstory on that Cush?
1: Uh, that one is actually related to the King's. The mother of special kush is a plant called Queen, which is somehow related to the Kings
2: um, and crossed with uh, an Afghani. Yeah, the, it's called Queen Afghani and uh, by Vision Creator, yeah. And uh, it's a really good kush that's, uh, I mean, we, we smoke all the American things that come up and it really, it is complex. It hits hard and it always has, right? Yeah, it stands up to most
1: anything indica that you can grow.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: I noticed on your site you've also worked with an X18 plan, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on some of the various Tom Hill lines you might have worked with. Because I think you see a lot of DC, like deep chunk stuff around, but you really don't see much X18 or like pine tar Kush stuff. What's your thoughts on his lines?
1: Um, they're very uh, consistent. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Yeah. the the pine, I think the pine tar and the X-18 came from his father. There was, Those were his father's, the, the chemist. Yep. And the deep chunk was from Tom Hill, if I recall. The deep chunk, I mean the X-18 out of those three, like I've grown all three, the X-18 seems to have the most, um, the best flavors. And, uh, um, it seems to be the most commercial, like the better yield out of all of them. And more, um, vigorous the most bigger like that was the problem with the deep chunk is it's the ones i grew anyways were very they're highly inbred so they're uh, very slow very slow vegging i think the pink I, I don't i can't really like i can't remember the pine tar kush but it was very uh inbred too um and you know what? interestingly enough the pine tar kush if you've ever grown it, it it's one of the few plants that reminds me of pink kush your listeners wow that i've grown my entire fish. it's fairly similar but i i haven't grown it for a long time so um i don't really i can't really say much about it but i can say that the the x the x18 is really nice um it's got a nice high it's not like super potent um but it's really like it's got pretty good potency
0: That's cool. And did you ever see the – I always read about this fabled green apple pheno. Have you ever come across that in the X18? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's lots of those. Green apple and uh, pear and uh, like uh, gin. There's like gin in there. Yeah, they're pretty common actually, those spinoes.
0: Oh, yum. i got to get into it. Yeah. Here's a random curveball question I've got for you guys. What are some of the more rarer narrowleaf varieties that you think the general public are not particularly aware of in terms of like the quality of the effect or maybe the unique nature of the effect? Are there any things that you think are a bit underrepresented? Uh,
1: Well, I think first to preface that question, we we need to like look at, um, the various land races, what they are, is they've taken regional seed stock and applied a, a generic name to it. So, in truth, there's like each one of those has infinite vari versions of it, with a general theme within a general theme. But um, as far as answering the question, what are some things that I think everything, like except for they like the real old timers, um, I think everything's uh, been you know miss been missing for. Uh, a long time like uh yeah, i mean all that's you can find good stuff anywhere in the tropics it's just a matter of finding the guys that kept the you know that knew how to select uh good the good shit from the bad shit the fucking <laughs> the good flower from the hemp yeah so like it can come, the good shit can come from anywhere in my in my mind
2: yeah it's more like a land rave than a land race in my mind right um yeah <laughs> That's
1: the that's the word that I like to use in my brain. Yeah, land uh land race is kind of a it's kind of a, a controversial term to use. Uh, sure is,
0: in yeah. the, um, Do you mean like in the sense that it's just like so widely misused?
1: Uh well it, to me the word land race means uh plants that are selected by the by the land, um without really without human intervention. Because um, when they're like the breeders, the old school breeders, when they're breeding wheat or whatever, they would go out into the land and they would get, they would do their selections from the land races.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So what would you call like a strain from like that a certain Afghan village has worked for, you know, however many years historically?
1: I would call that a uh, heirloom or a regional cultivar. Yeah, cultivar is meaning something that's cultivated and they're like intentionally selecting seed. Yeah, okay. Um it could it could have it could have aspects of a land race, like the pollen's coming over from the land. So yeah, it's basically heirloom. I guess yeah I mean yeah, in my mind right now I'm thinking maybe that is a land race, you know, if it's got pollen coming over from the land, it's got the influence of a land race. Um, um but if they're like somehow managing not to get cross pollinated uh, from The outside um like if you're let's say there's an area uh of afghanistan or pakistan or whatever where it's only just farms where there it's like so dry that you can only uh, grow your your weed plants in certain spots and it's all being farmed yeah then that's that could be uh, a bunch of different heirlooms um with some slight cross-pollination or maybe a Extreme amounts of
2: cross <laughs> <formation>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> pretty interesting to talk about though. I mean to like
2: to think about it. Yeah, how far do you go? I mean, uh, it's really funny though, right?
1: Yeah. Um like I I find it interesting how uh the cha- the terminology is constantly changing. Like uh, you know, is this cannabis sativa? Is this uh is this a narrow leaf? Drug cultivar, it's hard. To, like it, there's a lot of uh, you know different changes in the nomen, the, like nomenclature that have happened uh, in the recent history.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I was gonna even say, like, I I agree with um, many of the sort of ideas you just put forward. What I've noticed is that people like to use the term heirloom to. I mean, in, in all honesty, if I'm going to be very reductive, it's probably just ultimately a sales thing, but people will use it to describe like a clone that's been in a certain area for a long time. Like, and I think when I asked someone about it, I can't remember who they said, oh, you know, if you've been growing it in that area for 10 plus years, it's acclimatized to that environment and it's an heirloom.
1: Well, heirloom is uh, just means something that's passed, passed along, like it came from the heirs. It's a loom that came from the heirs. The thread was woven by the loom that came from the heirs.
0: (laughs) I like it. I like it. Um,
1: So, I mean, you can call whatever you want. a heirloom. If it came from someone else, I was hanging on to it because it was good.
2: You know, I mean, in my mind anyways, that's what matters is that the people are doing the things that they like and keeping them from generation to generation and year to year, you know? Yeah. And I do believe that clones
1: can acclimatize because, uh, every time you grow it, um, the plant is always adapting and where you select the actual, the, the the particular part of the plant where you select your cuttings from will actually have slight variations in genetics. So uh, if you take a cut from the top of the plant, it will be uh, more, it'll have more silica um, dominance to the top and the outside of the branches is more silica dominant to the bottom and the inside of the branches is more calcium dominant. So uh, the, like the north side of the plant will be different from the, the south side of the plant, for instance. Yep. Um, yeah, there's slight, very slight uh, differences in the genetics.
0: That's really interesting stuff. You don't hear that talked about very much. I, while we're talking about slight variations in genetics, I, I forgot to bring it up earlier. When we were talking about the Iraqi F2s you did, did you see anything come out in the F2s that was like recessive and not in the F1s? Or were they like, quote, land race <laughs> enough that it was like, largely speaking, homogenous because the line was sort of pure?
1: Uh, no, it wasn't pure at all. It was just, uh, we only did, a, it was a one-to-one selection. So it would have been those two individual plants. So you got to think of that as a, uh, the F2s were kind of like a hybrid they're probably, it's like probably more like a hybrid, like a F1. Yeah. Um, because it's just, just a shit mix, you know, of Iraqi genetics. So, um, you know, we're still, it's going to take, like, there is all sorts of variations of stuff in there. Um, so it's going to take a few more generations to, to, uh, you know, get it stabilized, looking consistent. Like some, um, some interesting terms that are used in, uh, breeding terminology are, um, stability and consistency and I, I like i like to think about th- these things sometimes and to me stability means a plant that you can use for breeding that the progeny are are not all over the place yeah, well, little. but a, lo- a lot of you, a lot of people use the word stability to mean plants that don't don't uh, get like earm flowers
0: what would you call a plant that doesn't produce hermaphrodite flowers. Uh,
1: true, a true female. True, straight, yeah, like true female. An arrow. I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like I I have this discussion in one form or another with lots of guests because there's it's not just in this particular example. It's it's replete throughout all of our nomenclature. People misuse it. And I guess it sort of all boils down to this issue of like, you know, because some people like to be like, oh, an indica is actually is meant to mean Indian, which is sativa. And, you know, like they, they go through that whole sort of thing. What does and I guess it, it sort of boils down to this idea of, well, do do I use the technically incorrect term because we both know what we're talking about and it's like we're we're talking, we're trying to represent that we're talking about the same idea. Yeah. Um, it's interesting or or do we like draw a line in the sand and say like we have to like you know really get on top of it
1: in what, in my mind one of those terms is an academic term and the other ones like just a regular regular day language yeah yeah so like most stoners they don't really care about like narrow leaf drug cultivar you know broad leaf drug cultivar they just want to know does it have a cerebral effect or does it have more of a relaxing body effect you know, so, and so I think that, uh, I mean, that's ultimately
2: the question. Yeah, that's definitely a hard question. Like, how do you, uh, amplify those qualities that are important enough to, uh, you know, give it a name or give it a category? I guess it's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we'll see what we come up with. Lots of people smoking weed now. So definitely.
0: And it's definitely something that evolves over time.
2: Yeah. But ev-
1: eventually, they're, um, it's probably those terms are probably going to be thrown up like completely they're going to just uh, um, be extinct at some point just because like it just it won't make any sense at some point um because everything's you know everything's hybridized and um there's just so many variations that you can't just like slap a label like this one's indica this one's sativa Um, Mm. but i think you can definitely say like this one's got more cerebral
2: qualities yeah that's the way I like to do it when I'm bio saying is like, uh, you know, the qualities that you like as a person, how does that reflect out in a plant, you know? And, um, depends what kind of person you are. If you're creative, you're mathematic, you're whatever, you know? Uh, so like, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I fucking lost myself. <laughs> out that, I, I give up. Uh, <laughs> um, but,
1: yeah. Another thing about it is, um, sorry you fucked me up um another thing about it is um um, with the new all these like we bred out not us per se but the community has bred out all the alternative cannabinoids so as we rediscover all those alternative cannabinoids we're gonna have to come up with uh, new definitions for things like you know what is what does cbc bring to the table what is uh um EG. THCV, like, you know, when, when we start having more complex uh, combinations like THCV mixed with uh, high THC with, you know, if you had like the uh, relaxing, the non-cerebral terpenes uh, mixed with THCV and high THC, what's going to happen, you know, Like, um, and then throw in some CVC, like, uh, like a big shot of CVC or something like that, you know. Um, We're we're going to be moving into uncharted territory. Definitely uncharted territory. Like we're only dealing with two cannabinoids right now, or you know, for the most part.
0: Yeah, look, it's it's going to be wild and wonderful, and we've had a range of different uh, predictions in the past, including um, people won't even be smoking weed in the future. It'll be all. Produced by yeast and it'll just be like cannabinoid infused beers and that's all we'll do. So, some, some interesting uh, ideas for the future. I just wanted to quickly bring us back though to the past for a moment. Well, it's, it's the present but it's also the past. I know that in the past you guys had um, ran some ads in high times. And I was interested to hear, like, what's your thoughts on high times now versus in the past? And specifically... Do you think it has any sort of real value at at this point?
1: Um, I don't think it had much value, um, you know, other than uh, it was something for people
2: to you know get stoned and uh, look at, right? Or just it was just something in culture to yeah, bring yeah, the yeah. cannabis culture, bringing on. that question into the mind of. More it's people. like
1: a, yeah. to me, it's like a national. No, it's a national inquiry the the. <laughs> The, news, the newspapers bad, you see at the at the grocery store in, in the lineup, you know, like uh, with like uh, Kanye West did this and etc. You know, <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a it's a it was a delivery vehicle for advertising. Like let's be let's be straight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sure. Okay. And, and
1: I think it was uh, yeah, like it was started by uh, law, law types or something like like they knew the laws and shit, so they, they knew what they could get away with. But it's cool, yeah. It's cool, like it was for it's cool for what it what it did, like break ground and you know, like get the cannabis in the general consciousness. Um as far as like the quality of what it was. Um maybe not. <laughs>
0: And there you have it, gang. What a killer part one. Huge shout-out to C-Ray and Scabby for joining us and a huge shout-out to you for getting to the end of this episode. Make sure you check back in for part two. It'll be up shortly. And make sure you also check out our sponsors, Seeds Here Now, best seed bank in the industry you know you love them they got the best breeders check them out likewise shout out to our newest sponsors pulse sensors you know them for their amazing smart sensors they're helping you fix all the hidden problems that are holding your crop back their data logging and display shows you exactly what's going on in your garden across the entire lifetime of the plant and it's going to help you to dial in your next harvest to be the best to date. i'm serious guys i got them in my garden If you want to get serious about your grow, get Pulse in your garden. No matter what the size is, they're going to help you fine-tune your grow and achieve the best results possible. Big shout-out to Pulse Sensors. Likewise, shout out Simply Souvenirs, an incredible seed bank based out of the UK, stocking only the highest quality breeders, as well as a range of smoking accessories and a whole lot more. Please check out their site. They've got so many amazing products on there. You're going to be surprised you hadn't heard of them already. If you're in the UK or Europe, check out Simply Souvenirs, your one-stop premium boutique seed and accessory store. Thank you so much, guys. Simply Souvenirs, we appreciate you copper biological systems all the best predators in the game beneficial feeds to keep the good mites happy who will in turn take care of the bad mites get on top of it guys afi parm spidex vital two killer products from a killer company and one final word for the patreon you guys know i love you please check it out we're now doing monthly giveaways on genetics we give away seeds every month how crazy is that Crickets and Cicada, home Jungles, Heavy Days Genetics, plenty more to come. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. I'll see you for the next one. We'll see you.